Good morning, Christ Prez. Who is Jesus according to Jesus? That's the question we're asking in this little series leading up to Lent. And we're getting the answer by looking at seven of the claims Jesus made about himself in the gospel according to John. Seven times Jesus makes these I am statements, like I am the bread of life or I am the light of the world. And these help us see who Jesus understood himself to be, how he understood his own identity and calling and mission. Well, our passage this morning follows right on the heels of the one we looked at last week, where Jesus claimed to be the door of the sheep. Now he tells us that he's not only the door for the sheep, he's also the shepherd. And not any shepherd, the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd, the one shepherd we really need. Of all the I am statements we're looking at, this one might be the most personal. You know, bread, light, door. Those are hugely significant images, but they're not very personal. Shepherd is relational. It gives us a picture into the heart of Jesus Christ for his people. Well, let's look at what it shows us about who we are, who he is, and what he does. Okay, so what does this show us first about who we are? Well, think about the metaphor. By calling himself the good shepherd, Jesus is implying that we are sheep, which is not exactly a compliment. You know, every now and then a movie will come out like Homeward Bound, which is about two dogs and a cat who are separated from their owner and who have to travel hundreds of miles to find their way home. And every now and then you'll hear one of those real life accounts of a dog or cat doing this. Uh, these stories are all over the internet, and I have no idea whether or not they're true. But the thing is, uh, even if they're not true, people can get away with making them up because we all kind of suspect that a really smart dog or cat could find its way home. But there are no incredible journey sheep movies. You'll never open up the newspaper and find a headline that reads, Sheep travels hundreds of miles to find owner. No one's ever going to try to make up a story about a sheep doing this kind of thing. And why not? Because it just doesn't happen. Ever. I mean, sheep are notoriously incapable of finding their way home. Uh, if they're separated from the flock, they will die unless someone goes out to find them and rescue them and bring them home. And, and sometimes they'll die even if they're not separated from the flock. In 2005, the BBC ran a story about 1,500 sheep who just followed each other as a flock, one after the other, right off a cliff. The first 400 died. And then, I guess because sheep are soft and fluffy, the next 1,000 or so had a bit of a cushion and they survived. But this is what sheep do when they aren't cared for. They just wander around following each other mindlessly and aimlessly. What's Jesus teaching about us? He's, he's saying that we're totally, hopelessly lost. It's not that we need better teaching and education. It's not that we need a life coach to come in and give us some consulting. Our most basic need isn't for good advice about how to improve our daily lives. Jesus is saying, you are so hopelessly lost that you will continue to wander aimlessly and eventually die without the intervention of the shepherd. If our deepest problem were spiritual and theological confusion, a good teacher could solve it. If our deepest problem were just moral imperfection, well, then an inspiring example of righteous behavior might get us back on track. But Jesus is saying, you're sheep. And because we're sheep, we need a shepherd. Have you come to terms with this? Have you come to terms with your sheeply identity? Do you recognize that on your own, apart from God's grace, you would be totally unresponsive to the things of God, totally hopeless? 
I mean, in Jesus' day, remember, it was tax collectors, prostitutes, social outcasts, sinners who flocked to Jesus because they had no problem admitting that his diagnosis was right. They said, we know we're hopeless. We're in desperate need of help. Be our shepherd. The religious leaders of Jesus' day responded differently. They hated Jesus for making these kinds of claims. It was the respectable, moral, religious folks who despised Jesus because they couldn't believe what he was teaching. They wanted to believe what we're trained to believe as Americans, you know, that we've worked really hard and that we deserve and we've earned what we get. And sure, we need God in, in the same way that every good employee needs a kind, benevolent boss, but not like a, shep- like a sheep needs a shepherd. Jesus is showing us our true condition. We're sheep. But he also shows us who he is. He's a shepherd and not just a shepherd, the shepherd, and not just the shepherd, the good one. The image of shepherd is a really important biblical image. It's, it's not an image Jesus just arbitrarily latched onto because he happened to see a shepherd walk by while he was teaching. This is one of the most pervasive and richest of biblical images used to describe God and his relationship with his people. In Genesis 49, uh, we get the first mention of God being like a shepherd. Later in Numbers chapter 27, Moses says, Let the Lord appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the people of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. That man was appointed, and who was it? It was Joshua, Yeshua. Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, it is said of David, the king of God's people, you shall be a shepherd of my people Israel. The Psalms, of course, are rich in the imagery of God as shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 77, you led your people like a flock. Psalm 79, we are your people, the flock of your pasture, and we'll give thanks to you forever. Psalm 100, We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The Psalms are full of that kind of language. The prophets, too, are full of language about shepherds and shepherding. In Isaiah chapter 40, we read that there will come a day when God himself will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. In Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, we get this condemnation of Israel's leaders who are likened to bad shepherds taking advantage of the sheep, not feeding them, abusing them. And God promises, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I will gather them, feed them, and bring them into good pasture. In Micah chapter 5, we read this, O Bethlehem, from you will come from uh, one from whose origins are of old, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and he will be their peace. And so now with that Old Testament background in mind, here comes Jesus and he says, I am the good shepherd. And now we're in a position to see the gravity of the claim. He's saying, I am the descendant of Judah to rule and shepherd Israel. I am the true Joshua appointed to lead God's people. I am the king, the descendant of David, who will shepherd the people forever. I am the one who came out of Bethlehem to bring peace to the flock. I mean, Jesus is saying, I am God himself. Come to seek and save and lead my people. 
He's making unparalleled claims about himself that he is the exclusive, unique, saving Lord. Several years ago, a sociologist named Christian Smith published a book about the spiritual lives of American teenagers, and he concluded that for the most part, American teenagers shared a view that Smith calls moralistic therapeutic deism. I'll read the tenets of this belief system, and I, and I think you'll see that it probably applies to not, not only teenagers, but a huge percentage of American adults as well. So the beliefs go like this. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Good people go to heaven when they die. Now, that's a um, great description of generic religion. A God exists. He's watching over us in some way. He wants us to be good and happy, and there will be some kind of reward for the people who are good. And Jesus uh, is showing us that this couldn't be farther from the truth. The real God, Jesus says, isn't some far-off deity who watches over human life, waiting for people to get their acts together so that he can reward them when, with heaven. The real God goes out like a shepherd. He pursues his lost sheep out into the wilderness with radical love. The real God comes at great risk to himself and defends his people from their enemies. The real God isn't looking for good, nice, and fair people. He's looking for lost sheep. Now, Jesus once told a story about a shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one lost sheep. It's not a very practical way to shepherd, but Jesus' point is about God's love for lost sheep. And so he says that when God finds a lost sheep, when one sinner repents, God and all of heaven celebrate. God celebrates and rejoices every single time he rescues a lost sheep. It's this window into the heart of God. That's how God feels about you and me. This is how precious you are to him. This is how valuable and significant you are. God will not rest while you are lost. He goes out searching for you and will keep searching until you are found. He wants nothing more than finding you and restoring you. If we ask the question, what makes God party? The answer is this, that the real parties in heaven happen when God finds a lost sheep. And so we see throughout Jesus' ministry that he welcomed sinners, That's what made the religious people so mad. They expected the Messiah to create a community, but they didn't think it would be like this. I mean, in their eyes, Jesus was doing it wrong. He wasn't seeking out the moral, respectable religious people. He was going after the sick and the unclean and the drunks and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He received the unreceivable. He welcomed all the people that moral religious folks want nothing to do with. He ate with them. Even today, when you share a meal with someone, it's a sign of friendship. But in Jesus' day, it was much more a sign of deep acceptance and fellowship. When Jesus sat down to eat with people, he was saying very clearly, I want to be in community with you. I want to be like family with you. And so Jesus is creating a community that celebrates not respectable, moral, righteous, religious people who have nothing to repent of, but sinners saved by grace. Religious people mutter and grumble when sinners come to Jesus. What does God do? He throws parties. 
I wonder, family, is that us? Do we do that? Is that what leads us to the most rejoicing? Is our community radically centered on the grace of God for the lost? You know, God's kingdom is not for nice, moral, respectable, religious people. It's for lost and found people. Does our life as a community reflect that? So, so that's, that's who Jesus is. Now, let's look at what Jesus does. What does our good shepherd Jesus do? For one thing, he knows us. In the passage we looked at last week, we read that he calls us by name. You know, the way shepherding worked by then uh, was something like this. There was a common shared pen that several flocks would be penned in, and, and the shepherd would approach and would give a distinct call or whistle, and that shepherd's sheep would recognize and follow him and come out, leaving the other shepherd's sheep behind in the pen. Some shepherds even gave their sheep names. And the point is that these are not merely units in a flock, sheep number one, sheep number two. No, this shepherd Jesus knows each of his sheep by name and calls each of them his own. Jesus emphasizes that we belong to him and that he knows us. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I mean, that is deep knowledge. That's intimate knowledge, unimaginably intimate. In Jesus' day, the sheep were not only the most helpless, but also the most valuable of all animals. That's why there were so many threats from robbers and thieves, because pound for pound, sheep were the most valuable of all the animals. The wealth of a shepherd wasn't measured by money in the bank. It was measured by sheep in the flock. The sheep are the treasure. And so do you see what Jesus is saying? He knows you. You are his treasure. The good shepherd knows you and he loves you. Why does he protect his sheep? Why is, why is he this committed to us? Because he loves us. Because we are his treasure. You know, we usually live in a kind of fear that this kind of full knowledge of who we are will lead to rejection. It's like love and knowledge are two different sections of a pie chart. Part of it can be love and part of it can be knowledge. And as the knowledge part gets bigger, the love part is bound to get smaller fully known and fully loved, we think impossible. But what does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. A hired hand, you see, will help only as long as he's not personally threatened. But a good shepherd counts no cost too high to protect his sheep. He promises, I will never leave the flock, not ever. I mean, he stands immovable, firm, fixed between the sheep and all that would threaten the sheep. He will lay down his life to protect the sheep. Jesus says, hired hands are in it for the money. I'm in it for you. I wonder if you could call to mind some of the threats you face today. <clears throat> some of the wolves in your life. 
anxiety, fear, depression, loneliness, sickness, chronic pain, broken relationships, injustice, betrayal. I mean, Jesus is standing there between you and them, promising to never leave. What wondrous love is this? You know, I love my dog, uh, but if my dog is about to get hit by a bus, I'm not going to push her out of the way. Jesus says, I see the wolves come and I lay down my life for the sheep. He lays down his life on behalf of the sheep, in place of the sheep. It's like the shepherd becomes a sheep. He becomes the lamb on our behalf. He loses his life for us. As Calvin says, your salvation is dearer to Jesus than his own life. He is so eager to save you that he doesn't even spare his own life. Think about it. This is the one who owns the heavens, who owns the stars, who owns the galaxies, who claims all the treasure in the universe. And he says, you are mine and I will lay down my life to ensure that you stay mine. And if you doubt it, look here. See the bread and the cup. Shepherds lead their sheep and they protect their sheep and they also feed their sheep. And so the good shepherd invites us to this table. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Our cup overflows. And as you come to the table, I wonder if the spirit is calling you to repentance. Jesus says his sheep hear his voice and follow him. But maybe there are other shepherds we've been looking to, to lead us and to feed us. False saviors we have trusted in. Maybe we've been trying to shepherd ourselves. Well, family, trust Jesus. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I lay down my life for them. He's inviting you here. And, and you see this invitation to relationship. I mean, Jesus is not out just to create churchgoers. He's not out to create respectable religious people. He's out to save sheep and to draw us into relationship with himself, as intimate a relationship with him as he has with the Father. And so, family, you are invited again to feast with the one who knows you fully and loves you perfectly. Believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.